0: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities. That's the NBA. That's game. It's like game five of the NBA finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side. Found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.
1: Thank you for having me,
2: Joe. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Poznanski and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome.
3: Thank you for having me, Joe.
2: You're welcome. This is all business. This is all business. It's an we emergency. Have no time.
3: Po- we don't <laughs> have any time. We don't have any time to, to goof around. We have a lot to do.
2: <laughs> we have a lot to do. It's an emergency podcast here. Uh, I think everybody understands. Uh, that the uh, you know there's a lot going on uh, in the world uh, and and nothing nothing is more important than us having this emergency podcast to talk about the most pressing and important news of the day which is
3: that the White Sox hired Tony Livorsa. La
2: <laughs> what is happening? What Okay, so is... <laughs> listen.
3: Let's just set the let's just set the stage. It's October 30th, 2020. It is October 30th. Um, that's right. There are whatever, three voting days left really until election day. Right. Uh, The World Series just happened. Um, There's all sorts of uh, international and national events that are probably taking up most of your time and energy and mental acuity to focus on. However, I think we we can all agree, the only thing that needs to be discussed right now is the fact that the White Sox hired Tony La Russa. <laughs> I don't.
2: I don't. You know. I mean, look. It's not. I don't want to downplay that. That the the pandemic is is raging uh, again. I, I don't want to downplay. Obviously, the importance of the election. I don't right. want to downplay all of these uh, legendary athletes uh, coming out uh, and 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 making their statements. I don't want all of that's fine. Nothing matters. It's the only thing that matters is that the Chicago White Sox. Right. In 2020. Correct. After coming off a playoff year where they, uh, you know, have one of the most young, one of the youngest and most exciting teams in the game. Right. Hired Tony La Russa. I,
3: that's I right. That's and the, by the way, you don't have to downplay all those things, uh, the <laughs> pandemic and the election and all that's that right. stuff. Those things are are exactly as important as everyone <laughs> thinks they are. It's that's just right. that this is more important and that's more all. worthy of discussion.
2: That's right. No, that's right. I mean, yeah. that's, those things, those things matter. Yeah. And and we don't want you to just forget about them. I mean, by any, by no, we, hopefully you have voted. We And if not, I hope you have a plan to vote. Uh, very important. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just, this is bigger. That's all. I this just, is it's,
3: slightly more important. So that's why we're talking and, about and,
2: it. Yeah, I think that's clear. All right. So let's start there. We'll, we'll get into some other baseball in a minute here. But let's let's start. Where were you when you heard the news? <laughs> <laughs> that so the White Sox had hired Tony Larusa.
3: I got a series of texts from people who shall remain nameless uh, that all none of which stated what had happened, but they were all versions of the three letters WTF. <laughs> just like what, like a bunch of people, and they just kept popping up. I was at work, and I was like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" And I went to a news website. Yeah, uh, to see like what's going on. Like, right. is there a new is is there a new COVID? Like, <laughs> is there um, did did Trump and Biden get into a fist fight in in Saint Petersburg? Right, like, that was the level of of what is happening that I was uh, that I was getting, and I couldn't see anything. I mean, I saw the normal array of insane news, right. but right. nothing that I thought was worthy of all of the texts I got. Then I went to ESPN and saw the breaking news headline <laughs> and knew exactly at that moment what all the texts were about. So let's just before before we talk about this, let's just lay down some basic facts. OK. Yeah. Uh, yep. Tony La Russa is uh, 76 years old. That's right. Uh, he last managed in the majors in the year 2011 when he won the World Series with the Cardinals. That's right. OK. Uh, he is in the Hall of Fame. Which is ordinarily the sign of a person who has been out of baseball for five or more years <laughs> right. and and has no intention of going back.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's right. usually that's usually an end game is getting into the Hall that's
3: of Fame. That's the end of one's career, generally <laughs> that's right. speaking. Is the, that's right. And he was inducted into the Hall of Fame several years ago, right? Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Also, it should be noted, uh, among the other... Problems that Tony LaRusso had while managing is he was once found by a police officer in the uh, driver's seat of his SUV, uh, which was running, I believe, uh, passed out, drunk, right, uh, uh, on the side of the road. That's and right. th- that's not the reason maybe that he quit, but it was certainly one of the reasons that maybe he thought like I should get out of this game. Now, since then, he has he's had front office jobs. He had a front office job in Boston, I think. Right, uh, Arizona. Arizona, right? So he it's not like he just like was on a ranch somewhere, uh, and, and then Jerry Reinsdorf pulled up and said, I need you back, Tony, and he said, I've left that behind me. That's <laughs> that's part of my past now. And Jerry said, No, Tony, you're the only one who can do it and you know, talked him into it. Uh so he he's been around baseball. However, it bears repeating, he has not managed in the major leagues in ten years since that's he right. was sixty six. He is now 76. <laughs> okay, so those are some facts for you. A couple, Another, a couple others.
2: I think there are an, a couple other facts the, we should go into.
3: Sure. I, I was going to also say, and then oh, you yes, can correct. lay down whatever facts you want, that the White Sox, like you said, one of the youngest and most exciting teams in baseball. Right. Uh, almost everyone who matters on their team is a Latinx player. Right. And Eloy <laughs> Jimenez and Luis Robert uh, and Yuan Mancada. And Jose Abreu, it goes on and on. Uh, the, some Not not as many of their pitchers are Latinx, but almost all of their... Tim Anderson is not Latinx, but he's African-American. Right. Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, who, who am I missing? Oh, Garcia. Yep. Uh, Nomar Mazzara. So they have a inc- very, very young... I mean, obviously Encarnacion isn't young, but generally speaking, an incredibly young, predominantly Latin team. That will now be managed right. by a 76-year-old man who hasn't managed in 10 years, and who, by the way, came out against kneeling. In, That's right. Uh, came out against Kaepernick. Uh, attended tea party rallies. That's right. Uh, and uh, and publicly backed uh, Glenn Beck. Uh, <laughs> uh, in uh, because because when you're when you're a white guy. You don't get yelled at for mixing politics with, with sports. <laughs> it's only when you're a non white guy that that happens. But that's the guy who's taking over. It's basically uh, the, the setup for. I, here's my theory, and then you can get into whatever facts you want to get into. But here's my theory. Of course. My theory is uh, Clint Eastwood needs a new movie to make. Right. And he called Jerry Reinsdorf and said, listen, if you get LaRusa to manage and they win the world series it's going to be an amazing movie and i'll and i'll write and direct the movie and reinsdorf says why the hell not by the way reinsdorf is like 85 so it's an 85 year old it's an 85 year old jerry reinsdorf hiring a 76 year old tony la Russa to manage a young team of predominantly latinx players in an attempt to create a hollywood ending so that clint eastwood can make a movie about it that's my theory
2: well, that's right because when you were explaining the bringing the old person out of out of retirement and out of the past that is every Clint Eastwood movie, right? I mean that's it's yeah. unforgiven mm-hmm. and it's and it's the old scout terrible uh trouble with the Curve with movie the curve, that he right. made and and go. what was what was the other movie that that he made where he was a an old guy who lived in a house that uh, and and basically decided he was going to fight back against whatever
0: Gran you know.
3: Torino. Yeah, Gran Torino. Grand yeah, Torino. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that it, it's it's basically that life. You you by the way in his in his uh resume uh the, when you were talking about uh, Tony Russo, you also did not mention that he was among the leading lights in the screaming at Fernando Tatis for swinging on that three zero pitch. Oh, I forgot. Remember about that? Yes. <laughs> remember that? Yes, I do yeah. remember that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the and his and his unbelievably wonderful explanation. So, for those that don't remember, the, Fernando Tatis in a in a blowout game uh, where at the time that Tatis was literally the hottest hitter on earth and 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 one of the hottest hitters we'd ever seen. Uh, he he faced a 3-0 pitch late in a kind of a blowout game and he and he was given the he wasn't given the green light but he swung anyway and he hit a home run and you know then there was a it really brought out the the worst of the of the uh you know unwritten rules people but of the but game, nobody the
3: play they play of the game the right way crew the, the play, force, exactly
2: yeah. exactly and nobody more so than Larusa, whose response was that it was a terrible thing because even if he doesn't swing, hey, he has a chance to hit the home run on the 3-1 or 3-2 pitch. <laughs> that was that was his explanation. Yeah. Like, when you hear an explanation like you're thinking there is somebody that is that is with it with the game, right? There is somebody that that, you know, is there, uh, you know, perfect person to hire. What I was going to say about facts were was just gonna be for us to muse a little bit about what baseball was like in 2011 compared to, to Ooh,
1: great now because yeah. I was
2: sitting there looking at thinking about it, that, that if, if you were in a coma since 2011, you would think that like, for instance, that uh, Albert Pujols is the best player in baseball, right? Like you, sure. would, like, like that would be, it's been that long since Albert Pujols was good. That was literally Albert Pujols' last good year uh, was 2011. So, so you got that going on 2011, like who won the Cy Young in 2011?
3: Great question. Let's let's look this up. Let's we now take a look. We're, let's we're, look because this is an emergency <laughs> podcast. Podcast we're we're going right to uh a baseball reference. We're just going to open baseball reference and give you some facts. Do, do you know Oh first okay, so the Cardinals won. Russa's Cardinals won. They actually finished second in the NL Central and won the wild card and then went on That's to win right. the World Series. Their scouting director, little trivia, Jeff Lunow. How about that? <laughs> Jeff Lunow How about that? <laughs> Has <laughs> <laughs>
2: Jeff Luna has has he had sort of a, an up and down time? I haven't
3: really followed him. I don't know what became of him, but uh yeah, he uh he was uh he was their scouting director. So let's see. Um so uh they they obviously they beat the Rangers in the World Series um, right. they had so that team was Yaddy Molina still was their catcher. Skip Schumacher was their second baseman. Nice. Of course David Freeze the postseason hero David Freeze was their third baseman. Matt Holliday remember Matt Holliday he was their, their starting I left remember fielder.
2: Matt Holliday.
3: Sure. Berkman Lance sure. Berkman was on that team uh, Raphael Let, that was Craig... came off the bench <laughs> <laughs>
2: What okay. was that? Uh, by the way <laughs> by the way um, Craig Kimbrell won Rookie of the Year in 2011. So right. ancient Craig Kimbrell uh, was a rookie that year. Uh, the leaders in war uh, across baseball, here, here we go, Jacoby Ellsbury actually led Major League Baseball in war that year. Uh, did he – how did it go for him after that?
3: Again, I Do you didn't you really close – I didn't closely follow his career after that, so I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cabrera – was that Cabrera's Triple Crown year? No, he won he – won, uh, no, he because he, he won the no, batting he, title. Mig, Miggy won the batting title. Miggy um, won the
2: dead, but that was not. In fact, uh, Verlander was uh, MVP that year. Right, uh, good I call. I believe yes. Verlander was MVP. Yep. Matt Kemp uh, Jose led Bautista. the
3: Matt Kemp led the NL and runs batted in.
2: <laughs> Matt <laughs> Kemp actually led the NL in in WAR. Uh, you know, Matt Kemp. Uh, uh, you know, still still a kid, still a kid at heart. That's right. Uh, ben Zobrist, uh, big time. Ryan Braun. How did Ryan Braun go from there from 2011? Again, did is not that, closely if, follow his career, don't know what happened to him.
3: <laughs> uh Juan Pierre was caught stealing 17 times that year.
2: <laughs> yeah, Curtis Granderson, um he he led the league in runs scored that year. Brandy, uh, love yeah, Grandy, love it. Yeah, Good job, buddy. Yeah. That's good. He's retired too. Similarly, Curtis Granderson is retired. Like that's like there there's a similarity between Curtis Granderson Michael, and Michael Michael
3: Young Russo. uh led the league in in singles. He's also long retired. Uh, he he does not also, play baseball anymore.
2: <laughs> he is also he is also long retired. Michael Bourne led the league in stolen bases that year. Michael Great. Bourne, it's when was last that Michael Bourne played? It's been a while since you, Michael Bourne tying
3: tying for the lead in, in league lead in triples. Uh, Jose Reyes and Shane Victorino. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is a long Ishiro led the league in outs made. Ishiro. Led yeah. the league announcement. So yeah, so 2011 was a while ago, I think is the point that we're trying to make. Look, I I, I really have a sort of a, a semi-serious question to ask about this, which is, did, have the White Sox lost their minds? I mean, I, I, mean I, I am really, truly curious what the heck happened here beyond the obvious, which is, uh, you know, an owner hiring his buddy to be the manager again. Uh, for reasons, you know, that have nothing to do with baseball and everything to do with sort of this, this, uh, you know, old boys club that that they that they hung out with. But is that it? Is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as just an owner can do whatever he wants? So he's just going to he's just going to hire his old pal.
3: Well, I first of all, uh, Matt Wieters was second in defensive war that year. <laughs> just want to lay that out there. But you you can we can probably guess what happened here. Right. And what happened here was a conservative, not necessarily politically conservative, I don't know what Jerry Reinsdorf's politics are, I don't care, but a sort of uh, athletically, socially conservative, 84-year-old, 85-year-old guy has a team full of young uh, players who are predominantly not white, uh, among them, by the way, we haven't talked about this, is, is uh, Tim Anderson. Now, Tim Anderson, as we've talked about on this podcast many times, is one of Love the it. most fun baseball players in the league, in any yes. rational universe, a league that is desperate for young people to pay attention and is desperate for excitement and desperate to make stars out of their players. In in any rational world, this league is rallying behind Tim Anderson and saying, like, the right. here's our guy. African American, premium position, incredible hitter, super fun, really like like uh excited all the time to be playing. Flips his bat like full of like fire and energy and brimstone and everything else. Uh, just a thrill to watch the guy play offensively and defensively. In any sane world, Tim Anderson is on a on a, a board somewhere as it's like him and Mookie and a handful of other guys, and it's like these are our guys. This is who we're. This is who we're. Putting the the we're putting the league on these players backs to take us into the next five years that's not the way it goes these days the way it goes these days is you uh you basically don't uh, you are not given any kind of credibility by the league. I mean, the, forget about the way the league is terrible at making stars anyway. Uh, so, yes, much worse, so much worse, so much worse than the NBA and the NFL. And, and to some extent, even hockey, it, it's bad at getting people excited about its players. But generally speaking, baseball is still in this weird zone where the people who run the league are the play the right way crew so if you're tim anderson and you flip your bat and you pump your fist when you hit a home run and you're excited all the time uh you are not um promoted you're just not they the league does not see you as the kind of player that they want to put at the forefront of their marketing of their uh of their mission whatever you want to call it so you so you can imagine right the scenario here a a a, a play the right way crew guy, Jerry Reinsdorf, right. uh, has a team of a bunch of young kids who, generally speaking, don't play the game the way he wants them to be playing the game. And he says, You know what we need is we need a Clint Eastwood figure to come in here and teach these young whippersnappers a thing or two about respect. And about uh, you know about uh, how you raise your pinky off the teacup when you sip, right? And that's the di- that's what we need. What we need to take this team to the next level is like discipline. Is old school uh, dirt, rub dirt on your uh, on your on your knees or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what they say. But uh, that and so he hires a guy, and in his mind, he's like, this is the thing that's going to put our team over the top in my opinion and i will happily i guess eat my words if i'm wrong it is the exact wrong idea right. it is right. the it is 180 degrees off from the orientation that this team should be moving because the team did better than anybody thought they would this year. And by all accounts, should everybody should level up next year. They should all get better. They have they have a, a bona fide ace in Giolito. They have a 1-9 through nine lineup that maybe is a step below... No, definitely is a step below the top lineups in the game, like the Dodgers and the Yankees and teams like that. But again, Besides. these guys are all 24, 25, 26. They're all entering their prime right now. Abreu may be a little past his prime, but... He's had an, he's uh, killing the ball, uh, killed the ball last year. And so you, you have a team that is primed to level up and to be a, a, a real force in the league. And what you have done is essentially bring in a guy who hates the way they play baseball. Why you would do this is so beyond me. I, I reacted, I lost my mind. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not a White Sox fan, as everybody knows. I am a Red Sox fan. I, but I lost my mind when this announcement happened at a level that would have befitted a hardcore White Sox fan because I can't stand the way that baseball is just absolutely blowing it left and right when it comes to the management and the marketing and the everything of the of their best and most fun teams.
2: Yeah. No, look, everything you said, and, and there are a few things in there... That I want to get back to after we after we finish on this. I mean, a couple of things about making stars, and uh, and I think how this connects in my mind to what happened at the World Series. But we'll get back to that in a minute. I the thing that is infuriating is everybody in like when you first heard, oh my God, Tony La Russa is is was brought out of retirement to manage this team. Everything you heard lines up precisely with how it's going to play out. There are no surprises here there's it's not like Larussa is going to adjust or there's going to be something because already they asked Larussa like well how are you going to handle you know the way Tim Anderson plays the game uh and and so on and he said if it's sincere I don't have a problem with it so that's that already <laughs> that's death if it's what? sincere I don't have a problem with it what, does
3: he think that Anderson flips his bat ironically?
2: What is he talking about? He is, he's, he's very insincere with that bat flip. You know it. You know it's – there. What a lot of people have said about Tim Anderson and the joy with which he plays the game – it's there's an insincerity to it. Am I it's right? Like,
3: it's basically like he hits a home run and then he makes air quotes and then he flips his bat and then he closes the air quotes.
2: Exactly. It's like, it's like, Oh, I don't mean to do this. So I don't have any idea what he's talking about, but nobody does. And, you know, look at La Russa at the end, you mentioned this. He was 66 when he retired. I mean, it wasn't like he was some kid. he was, he was, Already at that pretty close to falling asleep in the dugout stage of his of his managing, and he stepped away at what seemed to be exactly the right time. They won the World Series, so you know. I mean, I I don't I don't quite know why he's doing it. I don't quite know. I mean, I guess maybe he's missed it, hates being out of the public eye. But here's here's a real point that I want to make. Baseball is. Very different from what it was in 2011. I mean, very different. We thought in 2011 that it was, you know, the the game had advanced so much and, and, you know, but that's before openers, that's before shifts, that's before all these new rules, all that's before the game is very, very different. And what possible thought process could you have saying, you know what I want to do? I want to be able to match up. With all of these like tampa bays and and dodgers and and these these high level teams uh that are you know with with just enormous brain power with a seventy six year old tony larusa like it's it's inexplicable purely even from a baseball perspective it makes no sense
3: there there's exactly one data point that anyone could point to i believe um that would Suggest that this is not going to end in disaster. And that's the 2003 Marlins right, who hired Jack McKeon right. uh, and then went on to win the World Series. However, as f- that is a fl- utter fluke, I would say. Right, of course And, it is. <laughs> and, <laughs> and also, if I remember correctly... Uh, There were stories from that dugout late in the year where McKeon hadn't even bothered to learn the names of most of the (laughs) players on his team. And he would just like whistle at them and point and stuff when he because he was 72 years old and didn't care anymore. Right. Uh, And as as it's uh, uh, Tom Skoka, who's a who's a great writer, pointed out on Twitter that um, the only real like revolutionary managing idea that La Russa seems to have ever had was he was at the forefront of pitching matchups, relief pitching matchups. That's right. He kind of started this thing where it was like you you he and by the way, to his credit, he he would bring in a lefty to face one hitter, then he would bring in a righty to face oh, one hitter, then he would bring in a lefty to face the next hitter. and that's why the games were interminable because he made seventy two pitching changes per game. However, as Skoka pointed out, they got rid of that rule, <laughs> so you can't do that anymore. <laughs> so the only thing, the thing that he was kind of known for in terms of being like a revolutionary manager uh, is now out, is now illegal. Um, but the Jack McKeon thing has to be what he's going for, right? This has to be what Jerry Reinsdorf is going for. It's, it's the idea that this young team of uh, this ragtag crew needs to be whipped in shape by a crotchety old timer who... Uh, has been around and has seen a few things, and has uh, drives an old beat up pickup truck, and <laughs> and and you know just likes a good uh, hamburger uh, after the game and a and a cold brew, and, uh, and that that has to be what he's thinking is going to happen here, and I swear it isn't. I just know in well, my gut that it is not that thing.
2: And and it also feels completely different in that <clears throat> with that Marlins team. They they hired Jack McKeon in the middle of the year, or right. like a month, month and a half in, because Jeff Torborg was their manager, who was, you know, that youngster Jeff Torborg, who was only, you know, <laughs> 61 or whatever. Um, they, they fired him after they got off to the sluggish start, and it was like, nobody thought that team was going to do anything anyway. And they're like, ah, just, you know, bring McKeon in. Maybe he can just go ahead and straighten things out a little bit. And he did, to his credit, look, I don't know what... Jack McKeon did maybe maybe what that team needed was a manager who didn't do anything. I mean, I right. literally have no idea. But clearly, that was not some sort of like it wasn't like they they promptly went on and won the next three World Series or anything. They never were heard from again after that year, and they weren't even that good that year. I mean, they were a wild card team that year that just caught fire in the playoffs. So, if even if you want to bring that, I think the biggest the biggest issue for me is 2003 is very very different from 2020 it's just the game is so much different it's so much we just saw this during the world series that that every move every single thing you do can win or lose you the game i mean there's there are no moments anymore where where you can sort of like oh you know i'll make the wrong move and and i'll be able to come back and no you know i mean it's like you pull a man a pitcher too soon it's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. You you leave a pitcher in too long, it's going to stay in with you for the rest of your life. Everything is is about, you know, data-driven uh, shifts and, and playing the smart things. And I'm not saying, look, Tony La Russa is a great manager. He's in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying Tony La Russa doesn't have the baseball wherewithal to manage. I'm saying he hasn't managed and he hasn't done any of his stuff. And the White Sox are at a very delicate moment in their history where this is the time they, they don't have like two years or three years to just kind of play around and, and try to get better. I mean, they've got a, this is their moment. This is their window opening right here. And I just, what uh, thinking Tony La Russa at age 76 is going to do that. Like I say, I think from a, from a structural standpoint, from a team building standpoint, from a, you know, what is baseball represent standpoint, all of those things is a disaster. But I think, from a baseball, pure baseball perspective, it's inexplicable to me.
3: I fully, obviously agree. And there's a second level of of sadness and confusion here, which is again, you are indicating that your goal with one of the youngest and most fun teams to watch in baseball is to change the way they play baseball. That's right. That's, That's right. that is the, that is him. the explicit goal of hiring Tony Larusa. It is. I don't like when Tim Anderson does what he does. I don't like when these guys pump their fists and and flip their bats. And I very much do not look forward to the moment that Tim Anderson hits a walk-off homer against the Yankees on May 17th and and throws his bat and points at the dugout. And it's promptly announced that he is undergoing a three day internal suspension <laughs> right. for being too happy or whatever, <laughs> whatever the report is, because it, it is a um, it's just the wrong way for the sport to be moving. If the goal of the sport is to not just hang on to its aging and dying audience, but to create a new young audience, um, it is this is not as they say, what the kids are after. Uh, this is not what the kids want right now. And and not only that, like you're pointing out, strategically, the idea that Tony La Russa is going to find some magic by running counter to... The, there's a bigger discussion here, which we can... Maybe this is our transition into the World Series. There's a bigger discussion about strategy, about analytics, about what's happened to the game. But the idea that Tony La Russa and his old... Uh, His old timey ways are going to find a better strategy that runs counter to the modern conventional thinking, the advanced conventional thinking that has taken over the game is absurd. And he's going to try to impose some kind of weird hit and run strategy uh, and small ball strategy or something on the team. And it's going to be a disaster because that's not the way these guys have been brought up. It's not the way they've learned how to play the game. Like uh, maybe Reinsdorf is trying to recreate Ozzy Ball somehow, right? We're gonna we're gonna go small. We're gonna get to, maybe Scott Potsednik can come out of retirement and lay down a few well placed bunts in the in the second innings of games. Uh, but I just fear not only for that team, which I was really excited to follow, but also for what this says about the
2: sport as a whole. Um, yeah. So anyway, no, I think it. that's right. I think that's right. and I th- And I think that does lead us right into the World Series. But
0: today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players and fans across the past, present and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's Game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty-corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday, having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.
1: Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. And the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package.
2: Uh here's what I wanted. To, here was what I wanted to mention. Well, you know what? Before we do that, really quickly, he was not the only hire. Uh the the Detroit Tigers announced that they are hiring uh AJ Hinch as their new manager that, that happened just today, just a few minutes before we started doing this. Uh, they hired AJ Hinch, obviously AJ Hinch, a, a, uh, not only much younger, but, uh, but clearly very with it. Manager was on the cutting edge, uh, with the Houston Astros to the point of, of it being, uh, it costing him his job, obviously, um, was, was, you know, one of the casualties of the, cheating scandal where they stole signs and hit garbage cans and all that sort of thing. And he had this weird, weird um, role in all of that. Right. Because like he, he said he was against it, but he didn't stop them, but he was so mad about it. He like broke a camera uh, at one point because he hated it so much, but he still didn't stop it and didn't say anything about it. It very, he just had a very strange role in the whole cheating scandal. But he's been out for one year, not even a year, because this was not a full season. Been out for one sort of half a season, and now he's back with the Detroit Tigers. What do you think?
3: Uh, The first thing I think is that Viore also means mountain in Estonian. Well, sure. Well, sure. We knew that. We all knew that.
2: Maybe that's what they were referring to.
3: Could be. Um, But I always felt a little bad for Hinch because it, if you read between the lines, it definitely seemed like. The league was in this position where they couldn't really punish the players because of the right. union and they couldn't really punish the owner because they don't like to upset rich white people that much. <laughs> and so it kind of Get fell on Hinch and a little bit on Lou now. And Hinch did seem like from the way he talked about it, I, look, he didn't do the thing. That he maybe should have done, which is like draw a real line in the sand and say anyone right. who does this doesn't play on my team or I resign because I won't be a part of this. Like he didn't do that, no. but he did apparently say express his displeasure. He did apparently rip a, the monitor off the wall and do stuff like that. So I, I always felt a little bit like, look, is, is he are his hands completely clean? Doesn't seem like it, but. You know, the the players couldn't be punished. It's insane. I mean, watching the Astros run through the playoffs this year, I was like, look, there's all those guys who actually <laughs> were the ones who were cheating, and they just are still out there collecting paychecks, and A.J. Hinch That's is right. off somewhere branded as a cheater forever. I'm kind of happy he got another chance. Now, of course... I don't know what his role really was. Well, Who knows? It's possible that I could eat my words in in 6 months if some book comes out that says oh he was actually the mastermind behind the whole thing. <laughs> but I don't I don't have a problem with him getting another chance and and you know Alex Cora is another question because he apparently was the sort of ringleader of the whole thing. He was fired from the Red At Sox. At least that's what we've been told. That's yeah. what we have sort of been told, but like yeah. but again, this is a problem largely with MLB because that investigation was such a sham, yes. and the and the way in which they refused to the they basically gave all of the people who committed the crime blanket immunity for talking to them, and then they pinned it on a on a bench coach and a head coach when clearly it was way bigger than that. Um, it, you know, it went all the obviously all the way through their system all the way up to Lou now. It definitely went up to the owner. They didn't do anything about the owner. No, the owner's totally fine. <laughs> he owner... said so. He told you that he's
2: not, it was <laughs> not right. his fault. He <laughs> so, said it wasn't his fault.
3: I just don't believe in my heart that A.J. Hinch was like the only guy who who uh, oh. was a part of this. And also, I believe that he kind of took the fall for a lot of the team. And so I'm fine with him getting another chance. Good luck to him. Like, yeah, I, I have no problem with it. I wish that the players who actually did the cheating had been suspended and it frankly, we don't have to relitigate this, but it seems pretty ridiculous that if you can suspend guys for things like domestic abuse and steroid use and other drug use and missing curfew and leaving the bubble or blah, 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 blah. Uh, you, you ought to be able to suspend them for actively cheating on the field <laughs> during games. And again, this is a good transition into the World Series because the World Series ended in the weirdest possible way, with a guy being removed in the middle of a game because of a positive COVID test. Yes, putting a very fine point on the utter mismanagement of ev- almost every aspect of the MLB front office.
2: It's 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 really crazy. And yeah, let me say this: AJ Hinch. Everything I know about AJ Hinch, every relationship, every time I've ever dealt with him, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a class act. Uh, and and you know I don't know you know how deep his his uh, involvement went he does seem to be have been a guy that was against it uh but but he but he certainly was very very tame about about really fighting back my question is why is he first in line you know what I mean like they like they literally called him during game six and said we want you on a plane like like as soon as this game ends yeah I mean, it you know, and and look, I I think he's a he's a terrific manager and a terrific guy. Um but man. I mean, it's like he he jumped in line. They, they didn't talk to him as far as I know. They didn't talk to anybody else. Or if they did, it was it was only a token conversation. And you know, that is not going to happen for uh for Carlos Beltran. That's not going to happen for uh for for um uh the the Red Sox manager. Uh, Alex Cora. It's, it's, you know, it, it just feels like, are there not other qualified candidates, young candidates, people that have not, I don't know, been fired for being involved in the middle of a cheating scandal that you at least want to talk to again. I, I I have, I'm certainly have no problem at all with Alex uh, with AJ Hinch getting hired uh, or age or Cora, Alex Cora for that matter. I have no problem at all with him getting hired and, and that might very well be the best hire that the Detroit Tigers can make because he's he's obviously a very good manager. I just, the eagerness, the, the this sport is, we just saw the least watched World Series in history, by far, not even close. And you can say some of that has to do with, with, with COVID, and of course it does. All numbers were down across the board in all sports, but it wasn't even close. I mean, they were, they were getting eight, 9 million people watching the games. This is, you know, they have more than 40 million watch game seven of the, of the uh, uh, Cleveland Chicago Cubs world series. So, I mean, this was a, this was a out and out disaster from a, from a, uh, you know, from a, that kind of standpoint, it's a sport that, as is we're going to discuss is, is really, really fighting, against, uh, I think, a pretty nasty backlash because of the way the game is being played now. And you want energy and excitement. And and what you do is you hire an old guy to manage the most exciting young team, you know, maybe in the American League. And then you hire a guy that was just in the news like months ago for for being involved in this massive cheating scandal uh, to, to run Detroit without even talking to anybody else. It just, none of that feels to me like, like, baseball moving forward at all
3: i just don't think that anybody is in charge of a kind of strategic vision for the game yeah that's what yeah. The, that's what ends up what this uh, what this feels like it, it just feels like there's that baseball is this very very loose confederacy of individual nation states that are kind of there's no cohesion to it there's no sense of a league really there's no sense of like uh a, a, you know look the NFL owners are maniacs. They're yes. they're voracious, capitalistic swamp <laughs> monsters who who w- who will literally devour each other to win. And oh, sure. they build enormous Roman gladiator temples to themselves and then preside over them like emperors. <laughs> uh, and they are utterly uninterested in helping the uh, the the players who play for their teams with health care or with long term financial uh, security or anything they treat human beings like they're disposable tissues they're they're monsters like they're true monsters however (laughs) they all together have a real sense of the health of the league and the health of the league and the way that it directs itself and the kind of the strategic maneuvers that they make as a collective ironically as a sort of socialist collective yes where they kind of bond together and they share revenue and they may, they make these decisions they all of those voracious capitalistic swamp monsters are very much on the same page when it comes to the big picture and all of these things in baseball even though these are relatively minor things right the hiring right. of a coach or a manager for a team uh eh, who cares the the you know the the these little maneuvers that are like within an organization and then there are bigger ones we're talking about like the way that you handle the cheating scandal and stuff like that but all like they're 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 comparatively small when you next to something like expansion or contraction or the of kind course. of really big stuff but they all give you the same sense and the sense that they give you is that there's no cohesion to the leadership uh, in the league that there's no There's no five year, 10 year, 25 year plan. There's no long term horizon. For how it is that the that baseball is going to try to survive and the fear when you see something like those ratings and granted ratings have been down for everything and it's such a weird time and the you know ra- NFL ratings were down in 2016 during the Trump election. It's a it's a, a probably in just a byproduct of what's going on in the world that like people can't really focus on the World Series and it was a 60 game right. season and blah, 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 blah. There's a million reasons why ratings were down. However, when you're looking at year over year declining ratings across the sport, and the the real money that's made in baseball is locally, it's not nationally. Like those, the national games aren't that that big a deal. Nobody cares about Phillies Mets in in June. Nope. The, the only places that care about Phillies Mets in June are Philadelphia and Queens, right? right. So, <laughs> right. so all the money to be made is is in this kind of local is in your local area and that just makes it seem like this very very loose confederacy of 30 individual nation states that don't really care whether the league itself is healthy and that's that's very worrisome like on a on a strategic level on a on a big picture level that's worrisome and then on the on the on the small picture level the microcosmic level you have the fact that the analytics crew who are smart and, and understand the game way better than the people who ran it before they did have gotten to a place where the game has been essentially confined to the three true outcomes at the plate. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have the day-to-day week in week out experience of being a baseball fan not being kind of as interesting or as exciting as it used to be uh because you have the games themselves basically as you put it in a text to me during the world series it just comes down to who hits the home run today and it's like oh today it's justin turner dodgers win oh today it's it's uh uh it's randy then uh tampa bay wins like that and and so those the, all of those things together, the big picture and the little picture stuff, is we're now in a place where, as a longtime baseball maniac, I am extremely concerned about whether this is a viable sport over the next twenty years.
2: Well, you know, you, you brought up a couple of different points, and I think this is going to lead right into the Game Six decision, not the COVID thing, which you know we probably I don't even want to talk about it because it's just you know, gross. But uh, but the but the decision to remove Blake Snell from the game. You, you mentioned the NFL. The thing about the NFL that, you know, I just you just have to give it to them. There's like an invisible hand at all times that is pushing to make the game more exciting for, for the fans. Uh, this year, I, I don't know if I, sh- I shared this with you. Somebody tweeted out, this year, holding penalties for offensive linemen are down like... Like 70%. I mean, wildly down. Yeah. Wildly down. Now, you know, people are like, oh, this is a real issue. Is it, though? Is it a real issue? I think it's, I think basically, I don't know this, but would it surprise me if the NFL pulled the officials and said, you know what? We don't want our quarterbacks getting hurt. We want offenses to, to score points. Let's take it easy on the on the holding calls. Right. Let's 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 just back off. We let the let we'll let them hold a little bit more. Give the these uh, these quarterbacks more time. Give them a little more safety. We're seeing an offense is exploded in unbelievable ways. Quarterbacks are having, you know, numbers unlike they've you know, it's I mean, Aaron Rodgers at age whatever, 70 is is having, you know, and, and and Tom Brady at age 85, I mean those guys are having incredible number seasons. Um and I would not surprise me one bit if the NFL just said, "You know what? I mean, we don't have to announce this, but we're just going to stop calling holding penalties so much, you know? And and defensive linemen can get mad about it and and whatever, but what would you rather watch? Would you rather watch like, you know, uh, offensive linemen getting beat and getting called holding penalties and suddenly it's second and 20 and you got to deal with all of that? Or would you rather see quarterbacks with time to throw? So I, 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 I don't know that. Maybe this is a fluke and it'll all even out in the last few weeks. Baseball never does any of that ever. No, ever. They just let the game go wherever it goes.
3: And to be fair, though, to baseball, it's not that easy To change a rule and then alter the way the game is played because baseball has what other sports don't have which is there's a play that you can do that doesn't rely on anybody else uh, that scores your team a run you alone can hit a ball (laughs) over a wall and when they started shifting uh, you know a few years ago when teams really started shifting I remember there was a big discussion and And everyone was asking the same question. Why aren't you just slapping the ball the other way? If you're a left-handed hitter and there's a guy playing, you know, a softball kind of short right field. uh, And there's the, and the the third baseman is where the shortstop usually is. And the shortstop is like right behind second base. Why aren't you just flipping the ball the other way? Or why aren't you bunting? And David Ortiz used to occasionally once a month, he would just like drop down a bunt and jog, jog to first. And it was like why aren't most people doing that and i remember the answer coming and the answer was that the belief in baseball was the way to beat the shift isn't to hit it against the shift it's to hit it over the shift over the shift it was just straight up decided that like look if you hit a home run they can shift all they want and if we start training our players to with the right launch angles. And the and uh, yep. and all that sort of stuff. Then the shift won't matter. They can shift however they want. They went nine guys on the right side of the field. Who cares if you hit a home <laughs> run? And so you like. I don't know what rule change you could institute that would incentivize hitting against hitting the other way against a shift. Except someone I, I think on Defector, the new uh, former editors of Deadspin uh, site that they started uh, Defector, which is really good. Somebody yeah. wrote an article that basically said, like, you got to deaden the ball. It's the only right. thing That's right. that would ever lead to a new incentive program for hitters. If you deaden the ball and just make it harder to hit it over the shift, then guys might go, all right, well, I got to, if I need, if I'm going to get on base, if I'm not going to make it out, the only way to do that is by slapping the ball the other way. Apparently, they did this in Korea to some effect when too many balls, the the ball in in East Asian baseball leagues was a little smaller and more tightly packed and the and the seams were lower and there were tons of home runs. And then they were like, well, then now there's too many and they just deadened it a little bit. And it kind of changed the way that, that guys went about their at bats. So short of there, there is no holding penalty. There's nothing you can do. Like you can't, if you widen the plate, all you'll get is more strikeouts. If you narrow the plate, all you'll get is more walks. Like, there when when there are there are three things that hitters do right now, and the only way to really change the game flow is to change the way that the ball reacts when it comes off the bat. That's my fear. And I don't think baseball will do that because who in their right mind is gonna say, yes, less offense, right? That's <laughs> that's part of, that's a big part of the problem is is your the well, holding could- the holding penalties in football are like, what would you rather have? quarterbacks getting wrecked from their blind side and being out for the year or like more touchdowns. The answer is easy, but it's not quite that simple in baseball.
2: No, it's not. It's not. I'm just saying that, look, the NFL does stuff like that every year, right? They change a little bit, the, the, the catcher, they can, you know, they just, they just maneuver the game around. I'm not saying that there's an easy solution and certainly not one easy solution to Deal with what's going on with baseball, but let's let's talk about what I think was a, a real breaking point in the game, and that was game six. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, had one nothing because of a Randy, Ar- a Rosa Arena home run. Uh, what a player, by the way. Can we stop? Amazing. Can we stop and talk about Randy? For I mean, amazing? The, Just- like,
3: uh, when's what? What can what have you ever seen <laughs> that that compares? I guess you see Beltran. In that in the two thousand three playoffs or whatever,
2: right? But but even that was different because I mean a lot of people didn't know it. But Beltran was a star in Kansas City by right. the time he you know he was he went to Houston that year. I mean it was like he was a really good player. It was his first playoffs, and he just showed up and and was huge. Randy is like
3: he hasn't played his it, rookie,
1: is, yet. Hasn't played his rookie <laughs> year yet. He's not a yet. rookie yet. <laughs>
2: So, so nobody's even heard of him. Nobody even knew who he was. He had just been traded as sort of a throw in, in that weird Cardinals deal. And, and so nobody even had any idea. So I, I was thinking a little bit like, like it was, it was different obviously because it's the playoffs, but a little bit like Fernando mania. Remember like when he came up and maybe Nomo mania when those guys like just were like, what is this? Like, it's like, it's like a whole new invention or something. It felt a little bit like that, but of course it was on the biggest stage. Just awesome. El's, just
3: awesome. like Ellsbury in, in two thousand seven, who he had he had just come up that year. He he was a September call up right. and then he had a great postseason um david price in 2008 yes. was was when in, he
2: was the reliever david price yes yeah. when
3: they would like he they would bring him in he would just shut everybody down for <laughs> like that but like but not neither of those compares to this no like, he set like the this. record for most home runs in a in a <laughs> postseason <laughs> of for anyone not for a rookie or not for a guy who hasn't even been a rookie yet but for <laughs> anyone like it was such a it, his at bats became must watch at bats uh everyone were. Yeah.
2: everyone it was so so fun just so fun. Uh, so anyway, so he hits the home run. Tampa Bay's up one nothing, And Blake Snell is on the mound. And uh, I'm sure everybody here knows Blake Snell, 2018 Cy Young Award winner. Uh, just a dominant force uh, in the early innings, but a guy that doesn't go late in the games. It's just his entire career. He's never even gotten to the second out of the eighth inning, uh, even though he's won a Cy Young Award. He's just uh, he's a modern-day pitcher. So he has a no-hitter going through five. No, he has. He gave up one hit, but he struck out nine through five, and was literally as dominant as you could possibly be. It's not. It's not possible to be more dominant than he was those first five innings. The, the single hit aside, uh, four pitches controlling them all, putting them exactly where he wanted, dominating like ninety-nine mile an hour fastballs up and eighty-one mile an hour slot. You know, curveballs down, and it was. It was just a clinic. And he goes into the sixth inning, and he get and he gets an out, and then he gives up like a little, eh, not a bloop single, but kind of a bloopy single. It was pretty hard um, hit. Do-
3: the the Taylor the Taylor do- hit was pretty. It was up the middle. It was a pretty he he. Hung. It was a, it was a
2: legit hit. It yeah. was a totally legit hit by Austin Barnes.
3: And, oh right, right, Barnes, yeah.
2: Right, and then and then the top of the order comes up, and Mookie is coming up, and he had struck out Mookie twice in the game and made him look bad both times, and they pull him. They pull him right then and there. They, that's it. And he had 73 pitches, and they pulled him. And <clears throat> look, this is how Tampa Bay runs things. We can talk about the strategy if you want. I'm not as interested in the strategy <clears throat> as I am interested in the reaction, which was very, very, very angry reaction from – Old timers like the, like John Smoltz and Joe Buck in the booth, they were very angry. The rest of the game, there were plenty of people angry on on uh, on Twitter. A Rod came out. Did you see A Rod's weird tweet about course, you know given yeah. given give to all the Ivy Leaguers who were running the game or whatever? Um, but also like really devoted baseball fans were very angry, and I think they were angry. This is my theory: the game has become unrecognizable to them, and. They want a game that they grew up with and a game that they grew up with. You don't pull Sandy Koufax in the sixth inning because he gave up a hit. Right. You don't, you don't do that. You don't, you don't, uh, you know, constantly uh, go for the solo home run. You know, they're, they're looking around and saying, this is just not the same game. It's different. And I don't think that's right. I don't agree with that as a fan myself, I think that that you can find so much beauty and joy in the game. But we're dealing with trying to, you know, I want the game to be popular. You want the game to be popular. We want the game that we grew up with and love to be be a, a real prominent part of American sports. And a lot of people saw Blake Snell getting pulled and went, what the heck is this baseball? What is this? I don't like it. I don't want any part of it. And, and I, I just thought it was a real, it was a real moment. I think, you know, people have been arguing about analytics and this and that and the other. I don't, I don't think any of that is relevant. What I think is relevant is that we're not that far removed from a time where pulling Blake Snell in that moment would have been unthinkable, absolutely unthinkable. And I'm not saying it's the wrong move, but I am saying it's a move that, that for a lot of people make, made baseball just, It's like I say, unrecognizable to them.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's Game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break, alley Hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam, seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA, that's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA, that's game. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West and everywhere in between. Like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card.
3: Well there's a couple things to say about it. Uh, many of them have already been said, but whatever. This is our podcast, so everybody we can we can say whatever, we, can we, want. Say whatever exactly. we want. I think the weird thing about this that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about, but you and Brandon McCarthy and I were talking about it on text when it happened, was there it was a it wasn't just new school v old school in that moment. There were two clashing new school things at, happening right. at the same time. One of them exactly. was Blake Snell third time through the lineup gets beat up. That's a that is a fact. That's a verifiable fact. Go look at the numbers. Yep. He gets beat up in the Every third time. time through the lineup. Uh, he didn't pitch. You know, he didn't. He uh, like you said, he never went usually more than six innings or six and a third or two thirds, whatever the whole season. Kevin That's Cash. Funny. He didn't.
2: He never went six innings the whole year.
3: Right. Kevin Cash said before the game. I, even if he's cruising, when we get to the third time through the lineup, if he gets in trouble, I'm going to pull him. They That's had a right. one-run lead and hadn't had good offense the entire series, except for that one magical game that they won with the crazy comeback. So, there, so there's there's that there's the that side of the analytic argument, uh, the sort of modern analytic argument uh, kicked in right there. It's it's third time through the lineup. Here comes Mookie Betts, uh, and even though he's cruising, this is what we've done all year. We're doing this again. But there's another thing that was that's going right. on in that moment, which is Mookie Betts hasn't hit lefties all year. <laughs> he ha- right. he has like a terrible OPS against lefties, and Blake Snell had struck him out twice. He had also struck out the next two hitters in both of their at Seeger Seager and uh, whoever it that's was, right. uh, Muncie or somebody, Turner, Turner right? So, no, Turner, yeah. So, it, and that's that, that, um, Maybe you ignore because you're like, well, yeah, the whole point is third time through the lineup, guys you used to strike out the first time and second time through the lineup are going to get you. But there's a bigger, larger, more f- a robust data set that you're confronting with Mookie specifically, which is he can't hit lefties this year. Nobody knows why. Uh, it might be a crazy fluke, but he can't hit lefties. So what do you do? You, you, you have one of the best hitters in baseball going up either against a lefty who has nine strikeouts and in five innings. Or do you want him facing a righty who he kills righties? Who he so, kills
2: and and this guy's been getting killed anyway, Nick Anderson. Right,
3: and he throws a hundred like everybody in that bullpen. But you still you're 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 making you're, you're strengthening the whole point of the analytic movement is to play the odds at every moment in a way that the odds didn't used to get played because they were ignored or not analyzed. And when you're playing the odds in a life or death situation i would rather take any lefty frankly against mookie bets much less a guy who's cruising the way that the Snell was against any righty even a guy who throws 100 because look at the data mookie can't hit lefties for some reason so like it wasn't just new school versus old school do you let the pitcher stay out there do you pull him whatever i think that they ignored a bigger and more important moment in uh, or or data set in that analytic decision which is that Mookie's uh failure against lefties was a better predictor of what was going to happen than Blake Snell's third time through the lineup. And obviously, I'm they're smarter than I am. They know what they're doing more than I do. They have more data than I do, and I'm sure that they considered every possible option. I'm sure they were like this whatever. But it, it, when you're talking about like why make that decision, there are there's a lot of stuff that's going into that decision. So, you know, I, the, the end result is, uh, you pull the lefty who's cruising, you put in the righty who throws a hundred bets, doubles the route, the, 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 they score two runs in the blink of an eye, they win the game. Let's not forget. However, they didn't score another run. That's right. <laughs> they didn't that's score right. another run. Do you really think that they were going to win that game one to nothing? I don't no. think that that's no. the case because even if Snell gets through that inning, that's only the sixth inning. You still have three more innings you have to get through against the best lineup in baseball with a bunch of relief pitchers. They've all been looking at every day for six days or whatever it was. And they're going to scratch a run across. Someone in that lineup is going to hit a home run. Kike Hernandez hit a home run. Max Muncie's is going to draw a walk and then, and, and Bellinger will hit a home run. Someone in that lineup was going to go deep at some point. It happened to be Mookie in the eighth, but like I, I, you know, we look. Uh, of course, of course, we only look at the result, and the result was bad, and everyone yells and screams and everything else. I think what you're getting at, though, is something more interesting, which is it seemed like at that moment, based on like reaction from A. Rod and all and the uh, the uh, Illuminati types on uh on who were seeing conspiracies and everything on uh who are announcers and from people on Twitter and from baseball people that we you and I have both talked to. Somehow or another that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And yes. people are fed up with the idea that the game is controlled by modern analytics. And that I don't know what to do with that. Like, it's not going away. No one's like, (laughs) this is the way to win. They, they got all the way to the world series with a, with a $90 million payroll and faced a team with a $250 million payroll and came within basically one bad inning and one more game of winning the world series. (laughs) And along the way they beat the Yankees who had a $265 million payroll. Like it's quite obviously the way they put that team together and the way they run that team is successful. Straight up, like end of story, end of sentence. It's 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 one of the most six. It's one of the greatest success stories in modern baseball history.
2: Absolutely right. That the right. Tampa Bay Rays
3: can compete, uh, in, in against the Yankees and beat the Yankees, and they can be. They're basically doing what the A's did, except. For all through Billy Bean's tenure, except for the fact that they actually are getting to the World Series and the A's didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the, so they're not changing it. But I just I think it's interesting that like the fandom and the announcers seem to have hit a breaking point at the moment that Blake Snell was pulled from the game, and I think it's nothing more than just wishing that he hadn't been pulled because they wanted to see the moment where the guy who's thrown 118 pitches and clinging to a one-run lead in the eighth inning has to make one more great pitch to Clay Bellinger to try to get out of it. And, you know, like, they just want, you want those moments. And the thing, it is undeniable that the thing that modern analytics has robbed from us, it's no, there's, this is, I say this as a guy who uh, fully believes in analytics, the, the thing that it has robbed from us is that. It has robbed from us that eighth inning, guys on the mound, he's like in the game of his life, he's like, he's facing the slugger, for the fourth time this winning run is on second like it's he like we don't get that anymore what we get is a series of guys coming out of the Rays bullpen and the dodgers bullpen who are essentially interchangeable they're all just dudes with like scruffy beards and 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 anonymous (laughs) names who throw a hundred miles an hour yes
0: all hundred miles an hour
3: every one of them throws a hundred miles an hour and we get a random guy named Blake Trinan that you've you probably have never heard from before <laughs> facing a, a guy in, in throwing 11 pitches and then retiring the side. And that does matter that does for the enjoyment of the game. That does matter. There is no more uh, uh, there are no more of those memories of, even forget about Jack Morris. Cause that was a hundred million years ago, but like Josh Beckett in the ninth inning, picking up that little dribbler and tagging yep. out the runner, go pay uh, or whoever it was going to first. You don't, you will never get that again. You won't even Verlander, even uh, whoever those guys who are the real aces of the staff, like seven innings is the most they will ever pitch in a world series oh, a game ever most. again, unless it's 11, nothing. And the, and they've thrown 61 pitches through six innings or something. Um, <laughs> So that I I do, I'm sympathetic is what I'm saying. I'm sympathetic to the people who felt like that was a, a bridge too far, and I I just don't know what you do with that because unless you pass a bunch of new rules like the rule that said you have to p- pitch you at least three batters, what do you do? Say the starter has to go seven? You can't do that. It's it's no. impo- it's impossible to fix.
2: No, well it is. It is. I mean, look, there are there are some interesting things out there that people have talked about. I don't... There's no point really going into specific rules. Although one I think you and I might have talked about was this this interesting notion that you get a DH until you pull your starter. I thought that was a really interesting idea that somebody brought up, because, you know, we're both leagues are going to have the DH, of course. And so this was the idea that that you lose the DH when you pull your starter. uh, Which, Hmm. you know, which it's just an interesting idea. I don't... It wouldn't have had any effect here. I think... The thing is, exactly what you said, but even more so. You talk about how we're never going to get those guys in the eighth inning with, you know, with, with they're facing a guy for the fourth time. And, and you know, and that is, look, that's a big part of the, of the tradition and storytelling of baseball, right, are those moments. But here's the thing. This was the sixth inning, and it just started. It was only one out in the sixth inning. And so it really felt... Uh, you know, as someone, I think, look, there are not that many people that, that love analytics more than you and I do. I mean, this is this is at the heart of our baseball love. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to see him pitch. I wanted to see what was going to happen. I didn't want to see them bring in a reliever there. And and by the way, neither did the Dodger. I mean, the Dodgers were thrilled when they pulled him. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing. Mookie that felt, said so after you
3: know, in were the interview. Like, yeah, he was like, <laughs> all, we just had to get the guy out of the game.
2: So, so, you know, that's another thing that you can think about, which is, you know, Hey, part of, part of good strategy might be not doing what the other team wants you to do. I mean, I think that's gotta be thing, but I will say this. So let's go back on the other side. I thought the people who are bashing the analytics of this move, um, are looking at the fact that the Dodgers, used seven pitchers in the game, right. didn't even have a starter, right? They had a, it wasn't even an opener. They just let Gonsolin go out there and, and they're like, yeah, you, you're, you're done. He, he didn't even make it two innings. He was, he was whatever. And then they had seven pitchers and not one of them went three innings, not one of them. I mean, two and a third was the longest. And even went, that was Arias went uh, two and a thirds to end the game. Boy, was he good by the way? Uh. Uh, he was, like this un, unsung series, hero of this,
3: of the whole series of of the postseason really. Yeah, he was their best pitcher in almost all of their I think in all of their series. Like pound for pound, like he was. He basically was. He, an, was, just... he was Andrew Miller. They used him the way they used Andrew yes. the the, the uh, Cardinals or whoever it was used Andrew Miller. Cleveland, Cleveland, yeah. right? Of course, yeah. And yeah. and he uh, he just was. I mean, those fat. It shows you how deceptive he is. That those fastballs, the last two fastballs he threw to end the game. We're just oh. we're just fastball. There was ninety five mile an hour fastballs on the inner half, and the hitters just couldn't do anything. They thought they were breaking balls. I don't know what they thought they were, but they just watched them go poor, right by. Poor. Yeah, it was just a he. He's so deceptive in his motion and his and his arm slot is is perfect. And he he just is unhittable. That guy uh, when so when he's bad. on.
2: Poor Willie Adamas, by the way. Yeah. I mean, what a he had a horrendous series, but I mean to watch three go, fastballs go by. I mean that's. That's not the way you really want to end your World Series, no. I don't think. But you know, but but again, you're going to sit there and tell tell me one on the one hand, ah, oh, analytics ruined the Rays, and yet on the other side, you got a, a team that just was pulling pitcher after pitcher after pitcher, did not count on one guy to get outs, didn't even think about calling counting on one guy to get outs. It also should be so noted, I, it so should I be
3: noted that the same guy built both teams. <laughs> Right? Like it's like not 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 entirely, but like the it's the Dodgers are using the same analytics that the Rays are using. And so absolutely a loss for the Rays doesn't mean a victory of old school like nineteen seventies baseball over new school analytics. It means a team using new school analytics that had two hundred and fifty million dollars be a team using analytics (laughs) that had ninety million
2: dollars. Well, and I don't think see, I don't think that the argument is ever gonna win that that you're gonna be able to go back to old school and that's gonna beat new school. It's just not. No. I mean, whatever you wanna whatever you wanna say about the new school analytics, how you don't like them, how they make the game less interesting, you might you might have an argument. You might have an argument that it would have been much more interesting. I would say it would be much more interesting if you leave Blake Snell in, in that game. The game would probably be more interesting if you weren't allowed to do the shifting thing. Probably, right. I guess, although I don't know if that's true, but maybe. Doesn't matter. I mean that you you can you can talk about you know how it'd be more interesting or less interesting, it's not better. You're not going to beat a team. You play old school baseball. That's we might find that out with La Russa. You play old school baseball against this new analytics, and you're going to lose. You're going to get I mean, destroyed. You're just, you're just you, you
3: are. are. You're going to run. You're going to make over the course of 162 games, you're going to make way more outs. You're going to score much, many fewer runs. You're going to get thrown out on the bases a lot more you're going to you're going to have 4 successful hit and runs and 270 <laughs> unsuccessful hit and runs. It just you're going to
2: get caught 40% of the time yeah, stealing bases, yeah. you know? I mean that, that's that's right. So, but the question is, is there anything because let's let's forget the what's the right way to play, wrong way to play. If this is less interesting to people, which I think it you can argue it is. You can argue that this new style of baseball, three outcomes, uh, starters never, you know, going more than four or five innings, certainly in the postseason, uh, you know, these these new analytics that are not really, you can, you can follow them, but if you're a casual baseball fan, they're a complete mystery to you. So let's make the argument for a second that this is not as interesting as baseball can be, that baseball could be more interesting by taking back. Look, was anything more exciting than watching uh, Margot try to steal home?
3: No. Fantastic.
2: Wonderful. Just wonderful. It was a terrible, terrible decision. It was was really close. It was a (laughs) terrible decision and, and completely against what you would you would think is the right thing to do. But wonderful. So let's make the argument for a second that that is a more interesting brand of baseball and would bring fans back. And people would love it if you could do that. Is there even a way to do that?
3: The only thing I can think is, is that you basically banned the infield shift. That, yeah. that's a thing you could do. You could le- You could allow outfielders to shift back and forth, but you say at every moment, for every pitch, that's two, two infields two infielders have, to, have to be on each side of second, of second base. base because yeah. part of what makes the game a home run or nothing offensively is someone rips a ball right up the middle and you're like, ha-ha, base hit, and there's the shortstop <laughs> like, is literally wah, wah, wah. standing motionless and just <laughs> the ball goes right to him. Or a guy, a lefty, rips a ball that's going to drop like a classic ripped line drive single to right. And instead it's either caught by the second baseman or it falls harmlessly in front of the second baseman who then throws the guy out from 75 feet out and right. And if you do, if you remove, if you ban the infield shift, you then have a situation where more of those balls are getting through, which means more runners are on base and more, there are more chances for, whatever for double plays, which are kind of fun for, you know, guys going first to third, which is always fun for just base hits in general. Like the things sure. that are boring base that are, there are different kinds of boring are walk strikeouts and home runs. And that's all you have anymore because so many hits are dying in the gloves of shifted infielders due to analytic evaluations of tendencies of hitters. So that's the only thing that I've been able to come up with as a, as a simple thing you could do that doesn't fundamentally change the game, that isn't about fewer innings or fewer players on the field or this or that, if you ban the infield shift, you're going to get more base runners. And if you get more base runners, the game's more exciting. So would you do it? I kind of think I would. I, uh, okay. Honestly, or maybe it's like you can you can sh- you can't shift for the first seven innings or you can't you can only shift through the first five innings. I don't know. But but you if if the goal here is to have more plays that have more moving parts, basically what makes baseball exciting in any given moment is the number of moving parts you have, the number of yes. individual base runners, the number of um, of possible outcomes of things that can happen and walk strikeouts and home runs are one thing happening. And they're not, and two of them are really boring. One of them, a guy takes off his uh, shin guard and places it at the plate and jogs to first. Another one, the guy just takes his bat and goes back to the dugout. And the third one is exciting, but it's just a guy jogging around the bases. And if you want to increase the number of moving parts of the machine at any given time, the way to do that is to allow for the, it's the equivalent. If there is an equivalent of banning holding or reducing holding calls, In football, it's that it's you, you don't allow the uh, infielders to know exactly where the guy's going to hit the ball (laughs) so that more guys get on base and there's more action and more, more wild pitches and, and pass balls and hitting and hits and runs if you want them or guys going first to third or stolen bases or whatever, it will increase that. And it will increase the number of runs that score that are due to things other than home runs.
2: Well, there is there is an argument. I mean, there is an it's 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 a it's a I've heard counter arguments, and we can go into those. We probably won't. There's an argument that the reason there are so many strikeouts, or one of the reasons, is that there is no um, there's no reason to shorten up uh, with two strikes, because if you shorten up and try to put the ball in play, you're just going to make an out. Like if you don't hit the ball hard. And by hard, we mean over the fence, you know, into you have to rip it through the 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 shift in order to get a single. If you don't hit the ball hard, you have no chance other than like maybe a chopper in front of the plate or something like that. But you essentially cannot hit the ball on the ground or hit the ball in the air without any, you know, without any real authority and get a hit. So there's no reason to shorten up. So you take the strikeout because you've got to swing through. So there is an argument to be made that if you could figure out ways, maybe you know, you ban the shift and now there is a little bit of an opening for you to swing and hit the ball uh, where you love to hit it and, and, and it's going to be a hit rather than a defensive person being right there waiting for it, that you would shorten up. And and try to and try not to strike out so much that that the strikeout would lose value from a hitter's perspective or gain value I guess whatever whatever the word is it would become more of a a reason to to you don't want to strike out like now everybody just looks at a strikeout as that's that's part of the payment if you're gonna hit this many home runs you're willing to strike out as much as you have to strike out and and maybe that would change it I don't know I just don't know though it's it's baseball is really kind of Come full circle, and this has happened, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, and there have been no changes, really no particular effort to change the game. So it's just sort of changed on its own, and and now I don't know if we're past the point of no return. I just don't know.
3: Well, to that, I would say, first of all, that Viore also apparently means mountain in Latvian. (laughs) so that's interesting and also is interesting and also there is one other solution that i can think of that they'll never in a million years do and that's basically go back to playing in stadiums like they played in in the 1910s in like yeah. john mcgraw stadium or whatever where it's 380 feet down the line and 480 feet to center field and basically just make home runs a much rarer occurrence. And those balls that are now home runs become triples or inside the park home runs, which is kind of fun. Um, but just make the outfields enormous, just make them utterly enormous. And again, they'll never do this. The parks are built. They'd have to like remove tons of stands and like push walls back or make walls really tall, or they'd have to completely reconceive stadium design and retrofit stadiums to fit it. But. You know, one reason that it's fun to play in Fenway Park is a lot of balls that are home runs become singles and a lot of balls that should be singles become or outs become home runs. So there there are ways that you can screw around with the dimensions of the field since that is a – that's anybody's – that, you know, that's that's dealer's choice when you're designing a stadium. Make the stadiums enormous. But again, I don't – like, that's not – they just – they're not going to want to do that for so many reasons. They don't want to take the home run away from their That's own right. team. They couldn't do it unless everybody did it, because why would you punish your own team in the stadium you play in for half your game? So the only thing I I, I I see the point about the about the shift, but I also with your eyes, you have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of very hard hit balls become outs. And if you change the defensive alignment and you limit the amount that you can shift, A lot of those hard hit balls become singles. And when a lot of those hard hit balls become singles, you have more interesting situations arise uh, in in the run of play. And I kind of feel like that's the goal.
2: I think that's right. And look, I think it's something they ought to look at. I I think I had a conversation. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've had a conversation with Theo Epstein a few years ago where he talked about how, baseball doesn't view the game this way, but that the baseball should view the game. What is the ideal baseball game? Like what is the ideal baseball level? How many triples would you want to see in an ideal baseball game? How many singles, how many stolen bases, how many home runs, how many, you know, whatever it is, what is sort of, and I don't mean like for one baseball game, I mean over a whole season, what is sort of the ideal uh, viewing experience for the fit for the fans? and whatever that ideal baseball experience is how do you get there like like what do you do to get there and and you know some of it could be rule changes but some of it is going to be you know trying to encourage teams to train players to to do this and this and this you know i mean look it is they all should be on the same page it's it's supposed to be entertainment you you want the game to thrive and as much as these guys want to win and that's all they're focused on at some point if you want to win uh and and have it matter you you know you need to make the game more exciting for for a certain number of people like for you and i like we'll watch we'll just keep watching we're not we're
3: not the we're not the people they need to worry about
2: we're not the people they need to worry about they'll have us we'll be the last ones though it'll literally be four homers and no other hits per game everything else will be strikeouts and you and i'll still be watching it right and uh that's but we're not enough i don't think i don't i mean frankly we're the most important people but i don't think that's enough to keep the game thriving
3: no it definitely isn't so we fixed
2: it <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i think we fixed it i think we're done here okay, i think good. we're fixed here's what you do here's what you do you want to fix the game i think this is i think this is what you could take away from today's podcast you want to fix the game hire tony larusa i think right. that's it don't you think you got to go
3: old school that's the way to do it. You got to teach these young whippersnappers the right way to play the game with all capital letters.
2: Enough of this bat flipping white socks. You're not doing any more of that bat flipping thingy you're doing out there. I'm put, I'm bringing in the lefty. I, I want that first time that they explain the three, the the first time when he comes in there, bring the lefty to face the lefty and, he he walks the guy and La Russa comes back out to take him out. Yeah, like, sorry, long. buddy. Yeah, <laughs> I
3: I'm also looking forward to him like bringing Cliff Polite out of retirement to to be a to be a long reliever like just he's gonna do some weird stuff it's like when joe gibbs went back to the washington football team yes you know what it's just like that. exactly like that where and then he ran that famous running play that he used to run on the first play and they got like 50 yards and everybody in washington went bananas and then they proceeded to go like whatever seven and nine or six and ten like they always do
2: White Sox fans, when you see Skip Schumacher at second base, you are going to be so happy.
3: I'm hoping for Podsednik. I really am. Like, he's a postseason <laughs> hero. He hit that walk-off against the Astros. Like, let's get Scotty P to be the hitting coach. He can he can teach him a thing or
2: two. Teach them kids. Teach them kids how to play the game right. Oh, All right, Mike. Well, we've, we've done it. It's an emergency podcast. We've gotten it taken care of. So, uh, as always, thank you.
3: Thanks for having me